0: We're in Matthew chapter 26. Some of you thought that perhaps we would go to Genesis. But I'm enjoying this little break in between Revelation and Genesis. And so I get to teach on topical subjects, which is a rarity. (laughs) But today, being Memorial Day or Memorial Day weekend, we're going to talk about Mary's memorial. And that's in Matthew 26, and we'll look at that uh, passage in a moment. But memorials, they come in a variety of ways. We have headstones on graves. We have urns full of ashes sitting on mantles. And recently, I've noticed as I drive around town, there's a memorial that I'm not so fond of. And that's decals on the back of windshields in fond memory of somebody and then they name their family member. Just doesn't set right. <laughs> I don't know why. I don't have anything against it. But I'm thinking, on the back of a truck pickup, you know, you're going to put a memorial? But anyway, I guess you have to be from the South to appreciate that. <laughs> But memorials are nothing more than a dedication, usually a loving memory of a family member or someone that you have cherished. We also have here in the South roadside crosses. You get out in a rural area and you'll see roadside crosses or plastic flowers where accident has claimed, uh, you know, a life. But as a country, we're fast approaching 9-11. It'll be 12 years since 9-11, since the terrorists attack on the Twin Towers. But today in New York, there stands a building which is a memorial to the events of 9-11. So we have holidays that are set apart to preserve the memory of those that have gave their all for our country. And so to the fallen soldiers, to the patriots that have given their all, we honestly salute them and we're proud of them. We honor them this day. But typically speaking, funerals are a time where we honor the dead. Funerals are nothing more than a memorial service. A time for remembering. Cremations are becoming more and more common. More and more people today are opting for spreading of ashes versus a casket going into the ground. I'm often asked by the surviving family or loved ones, is cremation okay? I personally have no problem with cremation. For me, it's just as easy for God to gather ashes from a cremation as, you know, ashes from a casket. But anyway. But funerals and memorial services are for the living, not for the dead. And having done two memorial services within the last month, I understand that people need something tangible to hold on to, something there that they can relate to for closure for a pleasant memory of the person that has gone on. We mourn and it helps us. Lori and I, having just returned from a memorial service in Spokane, Washington, where we spread the ashes of her father, and we spread them, illegally, but I'm not going to tell you that, uh, alongside a railroad track. He was a train buff with a little stream that flowed there, and I thought, he would have liked this. Lori's dad was a train buff. In years gone by, he would hop a train just to see where it went, you know. All right. <laughs> I would have to have a little more information there. But anyway, so this morning, we're going to look at a memorial service. And it's recorded in Matthew chapter 26, 1 through 13. Let me read. Now it came to pass when Jesus had finished all these sayings that he said to his disciples, <clears throat> You know that after two days is the Passover, and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. Then the chief priests, the scribe, the elders of the people assembled at the palace of the high priest, who was called Caiaphas, and plotted to take Jesus by trickery and kill him. But they said, Not during the feast, lest there be an uproar among the people. And when Jesus was in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, a woman came to him having an alabaster flask, of very costly fragrant oil, and she poured it on his head as he sat at the table. But when his disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? For this fragrant oil might have been sold for much and be given to the poor. But when Jesus was aware of it, he said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a good work for me. You have the poor with you always, but me you do not always have. For in the pouring of this fragrant oil on my body, she did it for my burial. Assuredly, I say to you, whenever the gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. In verses 1-5 through five there, we have Jesus concluding His public teaching ministry. Jesus knows that He's going to be crucified, as it says, in a couple days. And He has accepted a dinner invitation by Simon, who was a former leper. A leper that Jesus Himself had cleansed. And I say former leper because if Simon was still a leper, he would have been contagious and he would have had to have been in a leper colony. So he's been returned, restored to his normal life, and he invites Jesus, probably out of appreciation, to his home for dinner. Listen to the words of Jesus, though, in verse 2. He proclaims that in two days it will be Passover. And I will be delivered up and crucified. Already the chief priests, scribes, elders are plotting to take Jesus by trickery. And we know that His trial was a mockery. And they want to kill Him. But they are waiting until after Passover and they're not wanting to cause a commotion during the Passover feast because Rome would watch Jerusalem very carefully during their religious holidays and the Jewish leaders don't want any trouble while Rome has such a presence of troops there. However, it is the very day of Passover that Jesus has chosen to lay down his life and he will lay down his life on passover so we find jesus though here it is a couple days before his crucifixion before his trial and he's at simon the leper's house by the way mary martha and lazarus also live in bethany and most scholars agree that this is Mary, the same Mary who comes to Jesus with this alabaster flask of very costly oil is the same Mary that had Jesus in her home. But this very costly oil flask, little jar of oil, must be broken to expose the fragrance of not only to the dinner guests but to the whole house and the flask has been sealed and it's been sealed to preserve this expensive oil that was happened to be one of the ancient ways of preserving your wealth was to seal up precious oil so to break the flask was the only way to release the fragrance this oil for its purpose. And it's interesting to note in the Old Testament, uh, priests were anointed with similar oil. The same type of oil that Mary has in her flask. The priest in the Old Testament not only dressed like a priest, looked like a priest, but they also had a smell of a priest you could smell a priest when he was in your presence. And that's the way God wanted it. He wanted His priesthood set apart. So it's only fitting that Jesus be anointed as high priest. Just like the example of the Old Testament priest. And He's anointed by Mary. To me, I cannot begin to think that Mary hasn't preconceived this whole worship ceremony. She has thought this through. Uh, this whole anointing process of Jesus, has, she has pondered in her mind how she might honor her Lord. Some believe, I should say many believe, that this is Mary's dowry and she is spending her dowry on Jesus. In those days, a family's wealth was never held by a woman. If there was a male alive in the family, that male chose what you did with the family's wealth. Mary has this dowry. Lazarus, her brother, is very much alive. She. She has seen Jesus call Lazarus from the grave. So Lazarus is around. But Mary's personal dowry happens to be the only wealth that she controls in her family. She has an older sister that would have fell in the line of having the wealth before her anyway. But Mary's personal dowry is all that she has to offer Jesus. And she pours it, pours it upon Jesus. You ladies know you don't pour perfume on you. You dab it. She pours it. She doesn't sprinkle it. She pours it on Him. That whole house had to take on the aroma of this fragrant oil. She pours it on His head. And in John's Gospel, we're told that she pours it on Jesus' feet. Then she does something that's sort of amazing. She proceeds to wipe Jesus' feet with her hair. Not a handy wipe. Not a napkin. Not a paper towel. Because Mary wipes the oil with her hair Indicates that she wants to identify with the smell that is now on her Lord. She wants to be like Jesus. Therefore, she wipes his feet with her hair. By the way, during the oil spill a couple of years ago down in the Gulf, one of the things they used to absorb oil is hair. Hair is a great absorber of oil. I guess that's the word, absorber. (laughs) Who knows? I'm winging it. But anyway, she's wiping his feet with her hair. Submission to her Lord. But there's a great irony that's going on here, too. The disciples, led by Judas, they question they not only question, they criticize Mary's worship. They are critical of true worship. Critical of this humble scene before them being done unto Jesus. One of the reasons I propose to you Mary's work of worship is premeditated is Jesus' response. But anyway, we'll get into that. Now, we're blessed here at Calvary Chapel to have a godly worship team. If we could only get them all to show up on Sunday. (laughs) Had to do that. I've been gone. I can't throw too many stones. (laughs) But uh, Mike will probably listen to this tape. (laughs) But... We're blessed to have a good worship team here, what I call a godly worship team. And I know for a fact they prayerfully choose the songs that we're going to sing in the morning. And they practice these songs before, just about before anybody gets here in the mornings. For me, it's a blessing to come in here Couple hours before service, and hear the worship team practicing worship songs. Kind of sets the day right. So that is a blessing. They're in here honing their skills. When we were out on the West Coast, we not only visited Washington, we went down to Southern California to see my grandchildren. And of course, there's a rather large Calvary Chapel down in Southern California at Costa Mesa but here's the point love song and that don't mean anything to some of you does to you Lance (laughs) love song led worship Sunday morning love song happens to be one of the original groups of Maranatha music and they were there for me they were they sang welcome back Who else could that have been for? (laughs) But it was so good to hear them again. And, And that brought back fond memories of the early days of Calvary Chapel. But contemporary worship, spontaneous worship, well, it's great. It's great to just spontaneously worship the Lord. But so is planned. Worship. And Mary is offering up planned, premeditated worship unto Jesus. She has planned out this worship, and the only one that understands her worship is Jesus. But that's who she's worshiping. She's worship. She's worshiping Jesus. Judas and the other disciples. They're not only upset, as our text says, they're indignant, even scornful. To me, they cross the line. They call Mary's sacrificial worship wasteful. Wow, that's pretty strong. And then Jesus becomes aware of what they're saying and so He fashioned a whip, a cat of nine tails, like the one He has just used to clear the temple. And He drives the disciples out of the house. No, I would have probably done that. But our, our Lord, He didn't do that. All Jesus says is, why do you trouble the woman? Why do you call her sacred act wasteful? But what they do is they expose their heart to true worship and how they looked upon it. How do we look upon worship? At other churches, not here of course, at other churches, some people will time their arrival to church where it coincides with the dismissal of song service, as they call it, or worship time. They want to come in just for the remainder of the service. Perhaps worship is not as important as it should be in that life. Jesus looked upon Mary's worship as a good work unto Him. And he calls it a work. Now, humanitarian works are needed. They're rare in our society. But they are to be part of a Christian's life because Jesus says, the poor you have with you always. The poor give us opportunities to do our good works every day. But let me ask, how often do any of us get an opportunity to do a good work for Jesus personally. Mary did and she seized it. She grabbed on to it. The 12 disciples, well, they changed the world for God's kingdom. These twelve were hand-picked by Jesus Himself after a night in prayer. These are godly men that are criticizing Mary. And they look upon her worship in the complete opposite way that Jesus looked upon it. The disciples are just about as unspiritual at this moment as you could have been. Thus we have Mary the only person, the only follower of Jesus, the only one who captures that moment in time to worship her Lord. To her worshiping her Lord was not a waste of time nor was it a waste of money. It's interesting that within two days, Jesus will refer to Judas as the son of perdition. You know what the literal meaning of that is? Son of wastefulness. Judas, who looks upon Mary's worship as wasteful, happens to be the son of wastefulness. There was another time in Mary's life when she was completely misunderstood. You're familiar with the story, I'm sure. When Mary and Martha and Lazarus had Jesus to their home and His disciples as house guests. Martha, she's fretting. She's fretting over the preparations for dinner. She's desperately trying to be that good servant unto Jesus and for all those disciples that came with Him. Martha shows tremendous familiarity with Jesus because she goes to Jesus and asks Jesus to rebuke her sister. Tell Mary to help me, Jesus. I love Jesus' reply. Let me read you the passage. Just several verses here. Luke 10, 38-42. Now, it happened as a... <clears throat> Went that he entered a certain village and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his words. But Martha was distracted with much serving and she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha... You are worried and troubled about many things. But one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part which will not be taken away from her. Wow. Martha, you're troubled about many things. And the one thing that is needed, Mary has chosen... The good part. And it will not be taken away from her. And that will not be taken away from her indicates that Mary will receive an eternal reward for simply doing what? Sitting at the feet of Jesus and listening to Him. (laughs) And some of you people will receive a great reward for sitting here listening to me. sir. We can move on now. But in its own way, sitting at the feet of Jesus is another type of worship. For Mary and Mary alone has heard Jesus in our story say, in a few days I will be crucified. That seems to escape all of the disciples' All those that would criticize Mary that seemed to have went right by them, but Mary heard it. Mary heard her Lord say, in two days I will be crucified. And Mary, in her own heart and life, she must worship Jesus. She must show Him some tangible proof of her love. And it doesn't matter what it cost. That fragrant oil... Probably her dowry amounted to over a year's wages. That's how much she had. That's all she had. It was her future hope for a husband. But Mary uses that same oil to worship Jesus with. And all she heard from the disciples was what a waste. contrast of what that to what she heard from the Lord. Wherever the gospel is preached in the whole world what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. Mary will be remembered by all who have ever heard the gospel by all believers who have heard of what she done Every believer applauds Mary. we applaud her for her wonderful act of worship, her good work unto Jesus. And it's interesting to note that Mary alone worships in a crowd of disciples and believers. Wow. There's the rub. (laughs) Mary alone is worshiping in a church full of believers. How important it is to have our hearts right before God. What would we write on Mary's headstone? And you can think of a lot of good things, but I'm sure it would say something like, Here lies one true worshiper. That's what she's known for. It's her memorial. Jesus' words were all that Mary needed to hear. And what a good work it was. And it will never be taken away from her. Mary's singular act of worship happened to be the greatest work of her life. Her whole life was summed up in that one worship action. So today, Memorial Day, we remember Mary because Jesus told us we would. (laughs) Let's pray. Let me get you to stand and we'll pray. Father God, You told us that You look for those who will worship You in spirit and in truth. Lord, let us have that honor, that privilege of being open and bare before You and to pour out our heart In worship to you, our living God. We are grateful. We are thankful. We bow that knee. We call you Lord, and you are our Lord. We thank you so much for taking us on, being our Redeemer, being our Savior. And so we, Lord, your people, along with Mary, bow and worship You this morning. Take the remainder of this day. Take the remainder of our lives, Lord, and make it as a memorial unto You. We pray for this. We ask for this. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen.